Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. This is Good, Good Morning Liberty. Well, what is up, all of our Liberty-loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nathaniel Paul Thurston. Mr. Charles Chuck Thompson is not here today, but I am joined, as always, by the Fed Haters Club. That's the group of people who's working with us to uh, destroy the federal government and uh, bring liberty back to the people or whatever it is that we're doing. Good morning, Liberty. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaning. That's our tagline. If this is your first time listening, because we are running a few ads right now on X, if it's your first time listening, maybe this will be okay. Maybe it won't. Just so you know, there's normally two of us. Uh, my best friend, Charlie, of 20 years, we talk back and forth. It's much funnier whenever there's two of us. When it's me, it's me talking about things not quite uh, as fun. So you might want to go back a few episodes and listen to when the show actually sounded like it normally sounds. But anyway, thank you for being here. Speaking of running ads, if I could just complain for a second, we can't even run. We're, we're like, yeah, let's, um, I was talking to Charlie and, uh, and we were like, let's spend $5,000 on Spotify ads. Okay, let's do that. I go and make the ads. Wednesday, we didn't do any shows uh, because I was recording 30-second ads, different versions of 30-second ads for Spotify for the podcast, Good Morning Liberty. And I submit all of them. I do all the campaigns, do all that stuff. And then I get emails saying, your ad's been denied, your ad's been denied, all these different things. Why? Because they are political ads and we're not allowed to run political ads. We're also not allowed to run ads on Facebook right now because I can't get them to confirm my identity. I've uploaded my passport. I've uploaded my driver's license just not working. There's just all these little things stacked up when you're trying to run political ads. Not not going well right now. So what we're going to have to do is find individual podcasts to run ads on their shows instead of trying to go through some of these big tech overlords. You know how that is. Um, Dumb Bleep of the Week is the show that we're on right now. So the Fed Haters Club, they get to throw in a lot of submissions. I throw in a lot of submissions. People on Twitter or X throw in a lot of submissions. And then we narrow the list down to like 10 items. Normally, there's actually 11 today. And then the Fed Haters Club, join GML.com. That's how you join the Fed Haters Club. They get to vote on what the dumbest thing of the week was in politics. So that's what we're going to do. Now we are going to start with... Uh, Number one, I think that that's a very great place to start is, uh, is number one. What is that? Well, we're going to talk about this immigration thing right quick. We'll see what happens today. Biden said that, the, that Texas had until today to change their ways. What happens if they don't do it? Your guess is as good as mine. I don't know exactly what's going to happen. But Beto, we talked about this yesterday. Beto O'Rourke had some things to say about this. He said, Abbott is using the Texas Guard to defy a Supreme Court ruling. Okay, number one, no, he's not. 
The Supreme Court said that they could cut down the razor wire. Did not say that Texas could not continue putting up razor wire. Who's not to find the Supreme Court ruling? Then he goes on to say, when Governor Faubus did this in 1957, Eisenhower federalized the Arkansas Guard to ensure compliance with the law. That would be a great example, except for the fact that in this case, Biden would be federalizing the National Guard to ensure non-compliance with the law. So once again, another terrible, terrible example. He says Biden must follow this example of bold, decisive leadership to end this crisis before it gets worse. And the crisis is that Texas is trying to enforce their border, trying to enforce the actual laws on the books about immigration, and the federal government doesn't want them to. So therefore, they should federalize the Texas National Guard to prevent them from enforcing the law. Beto, I'm not really sure about that one. All right, we're going to keep this all on number one, though. So this graph appeared in a New York Times article. It was a video, actually, and it was talking about the history of uh, immigration in America really over the last 60 or 70 years or so. And this graph appeared at the beginning. And I want to say thanks to our friend Brad Palumbo from Base Politics for pointing this out. He said this was a graph crime. It's a graphic stuff we're about to look at right here. The title is Things Fall Apart, How the Middle Ground on Immigration Collapsed. How the Middle Ground on Immigration Collapsed. And this will only work for you if you're really watching the video. So you want to go find this on YouTube or Rumble or Odyssey, something like that. But you look at this line graph and it starts from 1994 to 2019. Let me show you why this is so dumb. They draw these lines, these trend lines, to follow where Democrats have been and where Republicans have been on immigration. Now, the question that this uh, Pew Research survey was answering was something like, uh, does immigration make the country stronger? Something like that. It was a question along those lines. And as I zoom into the graph here, you'll see that starting in 1994, 30% of Republicans said yes and 32% of Democrats said yes. And as time goes on, it's gone up to 83% for Democrats and it's gone up to 38% for Republicans. The ridiculous part about this, like I said, you got to be watching the video, is they draw a trend line to follow the Democrats' change in direction from 32 up to 83. And then what they attempt to do is show a divergence where Republicans have just curved down and just steadily declining. They draw a curve going down away from where Democrats are going, but that's not what the actual line does. They draw a trend line for Republicans that doesn't actually draw, doesn't actually follow their support numbers, where their numbers have actually gone up from 30 to 38. They show a line just curving and going straight down to the bottom of the graph, away from the Democrats curving straight up and going up to the top of the graph. It's just a line that doesn't follow what Republicans have said they believe on whether or not immigration uh, makes America stronger. Now, I happen to be a fan of immigration. I think immigration is a good thing. As long as people can come here and they work and they are productive in society, uh, it's a good thing. You're only going to be productive. Where it becomes non-productive or a negative to society is if you end up taking things out of the system, out of the pool of stolen money that the government has every year or borrowed money or printed money, well, that ends up becoming a negative. And that's the problem that I believe we're starting to run into right now. And so that's all we're going to do for this Texas and immigration crisis right now, because we spent a lot of time talking about it this week already. That's dumb bleep number one. Let's go to dumb bleep number two. Kamala. 
Kamala Harris is very concerned about protecting our democracy. Okay, you just have to take her word for it. It's one of the most coherent minutes of her talking I've ever heard uh, in my life because she only repeats things a few different times. Uh, but she's got some pretty specific things. She's worried about Trump getting in power and how dangerous it would be if we had a president that would weaponize the DOJ and a, a president that would go after their political opponents. And that, I mean, can you guys imagine such a world? That sounds pretty terrible. That kind of sounds like the end of our democracy, right? Let's, let's hear from her. November of, of, of 2024, binary. And on the other side, you've got someone who has said that if he were back in office, he would weaponize the Department of Justice. Someone who has openly applauded insurrectionists as patriots. Someone who has said that they will go after their political enemies and, and applauds dictators indicating that he would be one. So let's be really clear about what's at stake. And then yes, of course, there is then a desire that let's get out there because we can't lose this democracy. You know she's telling the truth and making a lot of sense because she says, let's be clear. And anytime a politician says, let's be clear, it is just the clearest and most truthful statement you've ever heard afterwards. Now, what she's doing, very common tactic that's used by politicians and narcissists and psychopaths uh, called, called projection. A lot of people do a lot of projection, but she's clearly taking the things that the Biden administration is doing right now and deciding that that would be really dangerous if someone ever did that. And it makes it sound like that's not what they're doing. But it is what they're doing. They're clearly going after Trump. Now, some of the ways they're going after Trump uh, make total sense. Listen, y'all, he took those documents. And if it were anyone else, if it were a Democrat, I mean, we'd be wanting them to get prosecuted for taking these documents. They wanted Hillary Clinton to get prosecuted for the private emails and classified documents, you know. So, okay, that's one thing. <coughs> But then when it comes to this insurrection nonsense, and she even talks about supporting insurrectionists and all that, of course, they keep using this term over and over and over again because they're still going to attempt to get Trump knocked off the ballot, going after their political opponents, trying to take an option off of the ballot that a lot of people want to vote for to protect democracy, of course. And so that is dumb bleep number two, uh, Kamala Harris and yeah, thank you, Costco, for reminding me. She talks about the support for the insurrectionists when she had clear support for the BLM rioters even donating to uh, bail funds to get them out of jail. And that's fine. I, I don't know if she remembers the summer of 2020, the summer of love, but I remember the summer of 2020. And there was a lot of fires and a lot of burning and dozens of people died, billions of dollars in property destruction. But don't forget that day that people attacked the Capitol with flagpoles and stuff like that. Okay, number three, going to be Ron DeSantis. I'm sorry, Ron. I'm really sorry about this. I know it's probably very embarrassing. In his speech where he announced that he was ending his bid for the presidency, he said a quote, great quote, great, great Winston Churchill quote that says, success is not final, failure is not fatal, it is the courage to continue 
that counts. The problem is, that's not a Winston Churchill quote, so this has got to be dumb. Um, the only place anyone could find this quote appearing was in a Budweiser ad from 1938. And uh, the, the uh, Churchill Institute and everyone, everyone has said, yeah, we can't find any time that Churchill said these words. Uh, I don't know if he ever said that, but it wasn't a Budweiser ad in 1938. Uh, so that's Costco said same time period, at least. So we did get that right. Let's read the rest of the words from Churchill's famous words. This was in his uh, article entitled, You Can't Tell Him There's No Fishing, one of Winston Churchill's finer speeches that he gave. He said, let the, meta, let the weatherman talk, let the experts scoff. Youth goes fishing for the fun of it in all kinds of weather, in all kinds of waters. The man who has lost the spirit of youth is too busy with gloomy forecasts to gather bait, much less go fishing. Men with the spirit of youth pioneered our America. I don't know why he was talking about America when he was saying this, but men with vision and sturdy confidence, they found contentment in the thrill of action, knowing that success was never final and failure never fatal. It was courage that counted. Isn't opportunity in America today greater than it was in the days of our grateful forefathers? Live life, every golden minute of it. Enjoy Budweiser, every golden drop of it. It's a classy ad. I mean, that's it's kind of a fun ad. I like that. I kind of wish ads would go back to being like this. I don't know. Kind of sounds like a madman kind of thing. Anyhow, it wasn't a church. I like to think, because we've done this before too. Listen, the other day, uh, we said a Andrew Jackson, Andrew Jackson quote uh, pertaining to the Supreme Court that was not exact and actually is disputed whether or not he ever actually said it. Uh, something about the Supreme Court is ruled, now let them enforce it. Um, that was not word for word the quote and does not actually confirm that he ever said that. I like to think that if I was running for president, I would fact check my quotes and just make sure that before I tried to use this to, to, to really pinpoint, describe this moment in time. Sorry, I went into a Kamala Harris thing there for a second, that I would make sure that the quote was real. But I don't know. I th everyone's human. Everyone messes up. That's dumb bleep number three. Number four goes to Barbie Smouye. That's uh, Representative Barbara Lee. Speaking of Barbie, this is something that didn't make it in. You guys all see people upset that uh, Margot Robbie and uh, the, I can't remember, the director of Barbie didn't get nominated for Oscars. Kind of hilarious. It's actually more of a white pill Wednesday in my opinion, because Ryan Gosling got nominated uh, for his supporting actor role in Barbie, but Margot Robbie didn't get nominated for the uh, best actor category, best actress or whatever they call it, uh, category for the Oscars. So that's kind of hilarious, in my opinion. What was also funny was all the people that were very upset about this and they would pinpoint that uh, Barbie was the highest grossing movie of uh, 2023 and how did it not get nominated for uh, for best director and best actress and all that kind of stuff. And then you go back and look at all of the other movies that have been highest grossing. Uh, rarely does the highest grossing film get nominated for a bunch of Oscars because it's normally like a comic book film of some kind. But anyhow, let, we're talking about Barbara Lee right now. I called her, I called her Barbie Smouye for a reason because she tells a story, a very true very, very extremely true. Let's be clear. 
This is true story that happened to her just the other day, getting on the elevator at the Capitol. Uh, so let's see what she had to say. Let me pull up that video. Representative the Barbara Lee. She doesn't get into the story until the back half of the clip, but she does talk about racism and stuff for a little bit. So that's dumb too. Here we go. These are not little kinks. First of all, racism, institutional racism is in the DNA of this country. When you look at uh, what has taken place, look at the, our Native Americans, the genocide of Native Americans. When you look at what has taken place as it relates to African Americans, uh, the 250 years plus of enslaving African Americans, and then you look at the disparities now uh, in our community in terms of health care, unemployment, the wealth gap, housing. You can't tell me that systemic racism does not exist. It's not just a little kink. Secondly, you have personal racism, which is hard to address, but I'll give you one little story that shows you why uh, we need. First off, before she gets into the story, I wanted to point out that she just talked about disparities. Of course, that's she uses that as evidence of racism. Disparities are not evidence of racism. Some disparities could be from racism, but that's not a that's a correlation and causation problem right there. She also says it's in the DNA of our country. Well, I mean, listen, all those people, those people are dead. Okay. All right, they're they're gone. If you want to go with DNA and everyone's bloodlines, it's probably some kind of racism 300 years ago exists in everyone, including hers. But no, that doesn't make any sense. The real point here is her story of this very true thing that happened in the elevator the other day. Need to understand that I don't think she really understands racism. I was walking from the House building on Capitol Hill to the Capitol, and a man, a white guy, stopped me and told me I could not get into the member's elevator. And you know, we have uh, pens and I was going to vote. And he blocked me from getting into the elevator and told me I was not a member of Congress and it was for members only. I said, sir, I'm a member of Congress. And he, I showed him my pen and he said, whose pen did you steal? Now this is an example of what personal racism is and how people of color constantly have to deal with this each and every day. But systemic racism is in the policies of this country. And just look at what they're trying to do in terms of eliminating. Now we're supposed to, listen, I guess believe all women and all that. Um, we're supposed to believe that just the other day, Barbara Lee, who's probably been in Congress for like 150 years, something like that. I don't know how long she's been in there. Um, maybe she's new. She could be a new new member. They just didn't know who she was. That she went to get in the elevator that she's gotten in like every day. And she's she's been there since before this person was born, probably. She's carrying some Subway sandwiches. And this guy wearing a MAGA hat tells her that she can't get in the elevator. And she says, hey, I got this pen. I don't, I don't know if she's talking about a pen number to get on the elevator. Or you just have to be holding a special pen to uh, to get on the elevator. Let's assume it's some kind of a pen number, or maybe you got a pen on your collar says, Hey, I can get in the elevator. I don't know. I'm not sure which one. And the guy's like, Oh, you stole that pen. And then he called her the M word. And then we're supposed to just believe that this happened. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I don't, uh, <clears throat> I'm going to need some video evidence because if this did in fact happen, there's probably a video of it happening. And this person, uh, might want to, you know, you might want to discipline this person, might want to get rid of them. This this seems like it should be a bigger controversy. And this is just a random story that she told on the news. And I guess we're all just going to believe that this is something that happened. No, not going to, not going to do it. I love everyone in the group is talking about Barbie and Oppenheimer. I did want to say I was not super impressed with Oppenheimer. I mean, it was good. I guess the first two hours were good.
if I could watch the first two hours of Oppenheimer and then be done with it, uh, it's a pretty good movie. The last hour to me was just a little bit too much. And then Barbie, I haven't seen it, but I heard it was way better than conservatives were saying that it was. It was actually not the crazy message that a lot of people were saying that it was. Like I watched the Ben Shapiro review of Barbie and Charlie went and saw Barbie and he was like, yeah, that's not, that's, that's not how it came across at all. So anyway, that was all for Dumb Bleep number four, minus the Barbie and Oppenheimer stuff. Number five, Josh Hawley. Some people might disagree with this, but that's fine. You're free to do so. But Josh Hawley tweets out, he's a uh, senator from Missouri. Uh, he says, now big tech is claiming they have a right to censor just in time for the presidential election. They're out of control. The Supreme Court should rein them in and the government should break them up. This is a Republican, by the way, who is upset about big tech claiming that they have a right to censor and then saying that the government should break up these companies. And, and I never understand what people think that that's going to do. Like if you break up Facebook and Instagram, you're just going to have two companies that say that they have the right to censor. So what? it's just something that people say that signals to people that, that you want to do something and that you think there's a problem. It doesn't actually make any sense. And there's no reason that it would actually solve any problems. The same two companies are there and they're going to have the same objectives and probably ran by the same people still. They're just going to have different corporate paperwork and, and that's it. But anyhow, he says they're claiming they have the right to censor. I'm sorry, Josh. They do have the right to censor. Now, what we had an issue with, what happened was the government was telling them to censor things. And so they were censoring things. Now, that is a problem. That's not about them having the right to censor. That's about the government who has an implied threat of violence against you. Maybe not violence. Maybe it's some type of financial ramifications that could happen. Maybe they could be threatening to break you up. I don't know. But at the end of the day, the main threat is violence because they have a monopoly on violence. Well, that's a problem. But the company who creates the Galdern thing has a right to decide what's going to go on it. In my opinion, that's property rights for a corporation. I don't see how, I honestly don't see how removing the government telling them to censor things, which is the government doing something wrong, I don't see how people who believe in property rights uh, and who believe in free markets can say that that company doesn't have a right to decide what they do or do not put on their platform. I just don't understand it. And coming from a Republican of all people, which who knows what that even means these days, and then him ending it with they should be broken up. Is he best friends with Elizabeth Warren or something like that? I don't get it. Yeah, people did want him to run. I mean, when he was out there on the campaign trail, he was saying things that sounded good. I believe he ran against, uh, I think Austin Peterson ran against him, if I'm not mistaken, in Missouri uh, in, their, in their primary, um, because I, I do follow Austin Peterson on all the stuff. We've had him on the show before. Seems like a great guy. Um, yeah, he said some things. He sounded like he was going to be one of those uh, Tea Party Republican patriots, small government, all that. But it turns out he still likes a big government. He just wants the big government to do the things that he wants the big government to do. And that's the biggest problem with a lot of Republicans these days. Number six. Now, this comes from Scotland. So, okay. 
That's fine. It's not an American person. This is from a, a Scottish politician named Umza Yusuf. Sure. I'm sure I nailed it on the pronunciation right then. Who says abuse and intimidation of politicians is a threat to our democracy. It discourages people from entering politics and drives others out. Far too often, those subjected to abuse are women. Minorities are LGBTQI+. I notice now, I think two days in a row here, people outside of America don't have the A in their uh, LGBTQI+. And it kind of throws me off, and I wonder who it is that they don't care about. Who's the A? Does anyone remember what the A stands for? Let me know. I don't want to leave those people out, but hopefully the plus covers them. Um, I'm not I'm not really sure. Uh, so he says, together we must implement the Joe Cox Commission's recommendations. So I just wanted to say something on this. Uh, oh, okay, that's probably true. Asexual. Yeah, it makes the most sense, I guess, as far as what the A would stand for. I mean, um, I don't know if intimidation of politicians is a threat to our democracy. Uh, I kind of feel like that's, a good, I I happen to believe in things like what the founding fathers said, um, that essentially the politicians needed to be scared of the citizens. Okay, um, I, I you see the pictures going around, the memes going around of January six and the uh, politicians that are hiding, you know, in the seats when people are breaking in. Now I didn't agree with what happened on January six at all, but uh, that general idea of politicians being afraid of the citizenry. I sort of think that that's a good thing for democracy, especially when it's the politicians who become tyrannical and who are taking the rights away from the citizens. And so to just say that these citizens can't uh, intimidate these politicians in any way. Uh, now, once again, I started with saying, this is Scotland, this is not America. So if it were a politician in America that were saying this, I would say things like, well, that's how our country was formed in the first place. But when it comes to Scotland, my knowledge basically goes to... The one time I've seen Braveheart and I have no other knowledge after that. And so I'm not going to say exactly how they were, how they were f formed or anything like that. But that's about the peak of my knowledge uh, that I have when it comes to them. So yeah, that's them. They, they also line out. I went through the recommendations from the Joe Cox Commission, by the way. They have 28 recommendations. Uh, it's all just a bunch of word salad stuff and things that governments can do to prevent people from... Uh, throwing abuse or intimidation towards politicians. Uh, abuse, they define it, the single act of repeated physical, verbal, or psychological acts that violate an individual's human and civil rights. I don't know if psychological abuse is a bad thing when it comes to politicians. I'm sorry, maybe I'm totally wrong on this. I'll take your comments. Um, intimidation, words and or behavior intended are likely to block influence or deter participation in public debate or causing alarm or distress, which could lead to an individual wanting to withdraw uh, from public life. I don't think you should violate anyone's personal property rights or any of their other liberties. You shouldn't hurt anyone and you shouldn't take their stuff. Uh, but I don't really think that saying mean things towards people is a bad thing. I don't know. I could be, I could be wrong. Could be way off base on here. Ed Krasenstein for number seven. 
I hate it when people reach really far to try and own the other political side. The right does it all the time, sure. The left does it as well. And this was a really good example of the left just doing something really stupid, or at least Ed Krasenstein. I don't like this political this political one side jabbing to try and say, oh yeah, what about Republican stuff? Listen to what he said. He said, for all the talk about Democrat-run cities, New York City was just named the best city in the entire world. Where do your Republican-run cities rank? And so the ridiculous thing about this, if you don't follow the Krasenstein brothers, uh, then you wouldn't know that they pretend to be truth tellers and they try to come down on the middle and the most reasonable and logical side. They present themselves to be the most reasonable and logical people when it comes to every argument. They don't get too deep into either side. They just kind of talk from above, but always lean towards the radical left on most things. Uh, so this uh, name, the best New York city was just named the best city in the world. Take that Republican led cities the, the, the first logical question is, who named New York City to be the best city in the world? Well, it's this uh, newspaper or magazine that's uh, called Time Out, I believe. Let me make sure that I get the name right. Uh, let's see, I believe based in New York, and uh, they voted among all of their writers. They're writers all around the world. They cover a lot of different cities. Uh, they're writers and readers and so you've got an op-ed here basically about how New York City is the best city in the world. And they name it to be the best city in the world because it's got the most different things to do, like the most different tourist attractions, things like that. And he takes this op-ed from this magazine or newspaper, this online publication called Time Out, and tries to use that as a gotcha, a political gotcha, to say, hey, you guys said Democrat-run cities are pretty bad. Well, New York City is the best city in the entire world. Look, here's a clip of this headline that says that they're the best city in the entire world. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And he asked where your Republican-run cities rank. I wanted to know how many of the big cities in the U.S. were ran by Republicans. Turns out it's not a lot. Here's your top 20. So I pulled the top 20 here. There's two of them that are ran by Republicans. All the other ones are ran by Democrats. There is an independent in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, but Dallas is ran by a Republican and Fort Worth is ran by a Republican. Essentially the same town. I might have just offended someone that lives in that area or whatever, but Dallas, Fort Worth, they've got Republican-run cities. And it turns out uh, 70, close to 80% of the uh Top 100 cities are ran by Democrats, and the ones ran by Republicans are like uh, smaller, much smaller towns like Fresno, California, or whatever. It's just not a great example. Eric, wait, what's his name? Ed, not Eric. Okay, number eight, Joseph R. Biden, the president, I think. He says, I announced we're vested in our age. No, sorry, I'll have to read it. Um, oh, by the way, I got some new sound effects. This is outside of number eight. Let me try these out. Hold on a sec. These are, this is great stuff here. Um, here's one. We'll teach Donald Trump an, a valuable lesson. Don't mess with the men in America unless you want to get the benefit. <laughs>
Hold on. We got to listen to that one more time. We'll teach Donald Trump a valuable lesson. Don't mess with the women in America unless you want to get the benefit. Your guess is as good as mine. He's, I think he starts off saying, don't, don't mess with the women of America. I, and then I don't know what he says after that. Um, I do like, this could have been a dumb, really, that clip right there. The crowd, and this is just how fake all of this stuff is. The crowd just roaring. No one understood a word he said. But they knew that he just tried to say something right then. And so they knew that it was time, like it was their cue to cheer really loud because this was a political event. Like how everyone knew that it was time to laugh when he said this. Beer brewed here. <laughs> it is used to make the brew beer. In this oh, Earth Rider, thanks for the Great Lakes. I wonder why it's Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He was at a uh, brewery, I believe, on this one. The beer to brew here... <laughs> Oh, our riders don't think for Great Lakes and some, something like that. Let me see what he said. Beer brewed here. <laughs> it is used to make the brew beer in this final. Oh, Earth Rider, thanks for the Great Lakes. I wonder why. He's yeah, I, I can only assume that a <laughs> Cajun guy from <laughs> will it play another day? Will it play another day? <laughs> Cajun guy from Waterboy. That's it. Okay, anyway, let's get into number eight, Joseph R. Biden. He says, I announced we're investing another $82 million to connect 16,000 additional homes and businesses to high-speed internet across North Carolina. This is just one piece of a much bigger story. Under my leadership, over 40,000 infrastructure projects have been announced across our nation. So, I think it just said across accidentally. I hate it when people say that. A lot of people say across. It drives me nuts. That was an accident, just in case you're someone who's kind of a Nazi about those things like I am. Across. There's no T at the end of that word, just in case anyone needed to know. So they're investing $82 million to connect 16,000 homes. Just so you know, that's $5,125 per home that they're going to be spending to connect them to the internet. Now, What's actually going to happen with this budget, just so you know, just right there, it's $5,125. $82 million is going to end up being $100. they are going to go over budget. And connecting 16,000 homes is going to end up being like 10000 if they're lucky. They're going to end up spending more to get less homes connected because that's just how things go when the government does things. So while this is a little over $5,000 per home, if they execute their plan to perfection, which has never happened in the history of the United States government, probably not being more like eight or $9,000 per home when it's all said and done there in North Carolina. Anyhow, the ridiculous part of this is that at, a, at one point in time in 2020, the FCC had a deal with Starlink to provide high speed internet in rural areas. And they were going to pay $1,300 per location. Now that's still expensive as far as Starlink goes. That's a government price for Starlink because you're, well, that's a supply and demand price for Starlink also. Getting one person at a time is a lot different from getting 40,000 people at a time, right? And so supply and demand price slash government price for Starlink, which is normally $600. Uh, and then you pay the monthly rate just like you would with the other uh, broadband or fiber or whatever it is that they're going to be doing. 
And so instead of paying $1,300, they're going to pay $5,100. Why is that? They rescinded that deal um, when they were going after Elon Musk for everything. I'm not, I'm not saying it's directly related because you don't have this on paper, but it's probably related to the fact that Elon Musk bought X and they don't like Elon Musk at all. So instead, they're going to pay at least five times as much per home. It's going to end up being a lot more than that, all because they don't like Elon Musk and they don't want him to have any more money. And the other reason is this is a jobs program, right? You got to pay people to go out there and put those lines in. So you don't have as many jobs when you're just going to ship a box to a house that's got a dish in it. You just set the dish up like within the next few months, all of these people could have internet. Instead, we need to stretch this out over a long amount of years and maybe they'll eventually get half of these houses for double the money. Who knows what's going to happen? And um, it's probably not even going to be as good at internet and it's going to be out of date really soon. Uh, I could have just shipped everyone a box with a satellite dish in it. Uh, so great job. Great job, government. This is what the government does. They're openly deciding they're going to spend at least five times as much money getting people internet. And it's going to create jobs. But how do they do that? They take money away from people with jobs and then they give it to these programs where they misuse, misallocate the resources. They spend five times as much as they should have to create these other jobs after they took the money away from the people with jobs, inflated the currency, made things more expensive for everyone. You know the thing. That's what they do. Okay, that's Stumbleet number eight. <clears throat> How about number nine from Andrea Junker? She says a lot of dumb things. Uh, nothing says ban assault rifles. Okay, so you know it's going to be dumb. Everyone ready for that? Nothing says ban assault rifles like five school officers, eight federal DEA officers, 13 U.S. Marshals, 16 Sheriff's deputies, 25 Uvalde officers, 69 officers of nearby law enforcement, 91 state police officers, plus 149 U.S. Border Patrol agents being scared of one shooter with an AR-15. <clears throat> so that means we should ban assault rifles. Before we even talk about the Uvalde thing, we'll talk about the gun control part. Banning assault rifles is not going to do anything. Banning guns is going to be just as useful as banning drugs. Anyone who wants to get one is going to be able to get one through illegal means if they want to do that. There's hundreds of millions of guns out there in America right now. You're not going to get rid of them. That's not even counting all the ghost guns, you know, it, assuming that's a thing. So first off, you're starting off with a premise that you'd be able to just <clears throat> ban them and then this thing wouldn't happen anymore. Since that wouldn't work, then you have to question, well, how do we have all of these different officers that did not end this situation. The reason this really happened, one, yeah, I guess they were scared to go in. And the other thing is they just, they followed a bad order. They followed a bad book. Once they decided that they had a barricaded suspect and they decided that the door was locked and they needed to find the keys, even though they apparently never tried the handle of the door to see if it was locked, they just assumed it was locked because that was protocol during a school shooting that the door gets locked. And so they waited to find the keys for a long time and the door, the door wasn't locked. They decided they had a barricaded suspect. Well, at that point, well, you need to get hostage negotiators in there. You got to establish contact with the person, all that stuff. So they just wait there and they just sit there in the hallway listening to kids getting murdered by someone with a gun. 
And the problem is that the kid had a gun, apparently. It's not the problem that there were all of these government officers there, local, state, federal officers there, that completely failed to do their job. Contrast that with what happened with that uh, Nashville shooting at the Covenant School. We played that video. It was a great video. Great body cam footage of that cop going in and taking out, those cops going in and taking out that shooter. They went right in there. They didn't hesitate. That's what needed to happen. That's how you ended up saving people's lives. And that's not what happened that day. And so while she says nothing says ban assault rifles, like all of these people not being able to stop one person with an AR-15, I think nothing says ban government officers from having a monopoly on violence, like all of these people not being able to stop one person from hurting kids. That's the way that I would reward this. Okay. That was number nine. Let's go to number 10. We have two different anti-capitalist submissions. This video has been all over the place uh, over the last few days. This guy, Chris Munn, says, this should be required teaching across every school in America. And it is a video of Professor Richard Wolf, who is a Marxist, socialist, angry, just terrible guy. I mean, what I would assume. Maybe he's not. Maybe he's a super nice guy. He seems like kind of a cranky old Marxist. Like if Bernie was way, way more mean and pompous and narcissistic and full of himself. If you can imagine that kind of a world, uh, that's the kind of guy that this uh, Richard Wolf guy is. And so this person said this should be re required teaching across every school in America. Well, let's see what this required teaching should cover. If you're going to be paid by an employer $20 an hour, the following statement must be true. During that hour, your labor produces more for the employer that he sells at the end of the day than $20 worth. Because that's why he's in the... If paying you 20 you went to work and you did an output that gave another 20 for him to sell, then he's got nothing out of this. He's made 20 by selling what your labor helped to produce, but he's got to give it to you. And even though he likes you, you're not going to do that. There has to be in it, here we go, something for him. You now, first off, I actually forgot this was Richard Wolf when I first watched it. And I thought this guy was making an argument against the minimum wage because he just laid out clearly why people lose their job when the minimum wage goes up and their labor doesn't produce as much as what they're asking to get paid. Like he just made the argument perfectly for why you're going to lose your job. You must be producing more than what, the, than what the employer is paying you. Anyway, that's not the point he's making. You have to produce, this is ineluctable, you have to produce more in every hour than you get paid. Otherwise, this system doesn't work. For those of you, and I have to tell you this because partly you need to hear it and partly I admit I get a kick out of telling you. <laughs> those of you who think that in a capitalist system, you're never going to work for anybody who doesn't pay you what you're worth. You don't understand the system you're in. That is never going to happen because that's how this system works. When you go home at the end of a workday and you feel vaguely ripped off, it's because you are. And the psychologist or others who helps you get over that feeling isn't doing you any favor. So if you go home at the end of the day, and you feel vaguely ripped off, that's because you are. I would argue that that's because you're wrong. Now, in some cases, there are employers that are 
ripping people off. Maybe they could pay you more. Maybe they're taking advantage of you. Uh, and that, that could be the case. Sure. <clears throat> but you're not getting ripped off. Here's, here's why. What he forgets to ever consider is that the employer is also bringing value to the picture. There's a few things that he's forgetting to consider. The employer brings value to the picture by all the investments they made in the building that you're working in. Whatever it is that you're doing, if it's a factory, look at all the things that had to be brought together for you to be able to come there and produce and say that your labor is worth $20 an hour. I have been fond of saying, if your labor is worth 20 bucks an hour, just go stand in a field and move your arms around. See what happens. Well, you got to have the other part of that equation. You got to have the capitalist who brings in the machinery, the products, the supplies, whatever it is, takes care of the shipping, takes care of the selling, doing all that stuff. And socialists like this, they ignore that fact. And I do think that it is out of a big feeling of envy and hatred for people who have more than others. I think they see it as an unbalanced power dynamic, like the employer has more power, but of course the worker, if they could get more somewhere else, could just quit and go get more somewhere else. If that's what if that is the most anyone in the world is willing to pay you, then that's that's what your labor is actually worth. And by the way, the employee is also making the same calculation by going and spending their time working and taking $20 for that time. They're saying that the $20 is worth more to them than their time otherwise would be worth to them, Right. Or if not, you wouldn't go do it. You would say, well, my time is worth more than me than $20. And so I'm not going to come and work here. But you're saying the 20 bucks is worth more to you than that hour. And so they're doing the same thing. They're ripping off the employer at that time because <clears throat> they think the 20 bucks is more valuable than that time is that they just spent. And so there's, I don't know if it's an intentional misunderstanding. I think he's so clouded by, by hatred for capitalists, for capitalism itself. Uh, that he can't see the other side of the equation. It, or it could be, if I'm not giving him the benefit of the doubt, that he refuses to see the other side of the equation, or even worse, even less benefit of the doubt. He knows the other side of the equation. He understands it, but he still hates those people so much that he goes out and makes these terrible arguments to try and rile people up and tell them that they're getting ripped off when in fact they're not. So that's one part of our anti-capitalist segment. Uh, the other part is from a meme that I saw. This had 1.5 million views at the time that I took a screenshot of it, <clears throat> which was uh, yesterday. So a lot of views on this. This person, Buddyhead, says, I think about this a lot. Buddyhead, by the way, has a hammer and sickle symbol in the profile name. You know how I feel about that? I think you should be able to put whatever symbol and your profile name. But I think that it should be treated accordingly. If you're going to put a symbol out there of the most violent and murderous ideology that we've ever seen, uh, then you should be treated as such. You should be treated worse than someone who put a swastika in their profile name. Just by the death toll, you should be treated worse than. But I've never seen a swastika in someone's profile name. I don't even know if that's possible. I've literally never seen one. I don't know if that's a symbol that you could even put in there. But 
it should be like what Costco just said in the group, the Fat Haters Club, join gmail.com. It should be just as offensive as the swastika. It should be more offensive than the swastika. The difference is the people with the hammer and sickle, well, they were trying to do the right thing, right? Okay, it didn't turn out all that well, but that's not their fault. At least they tried. At least they tried to do the right thing for the right reasons, you know? And so therefore you can let them get by with all the hundreds of millions of people or tens of millions of people, all the people that starved to death and that were just straight up murdered by these socialist and communist regimes. Anyhow, under cat, this is what the meme says. Under capitalism, food isn't produced to feed, to feed people. It's produced to make a profit. When it's not profitable to feed people, <clears throat> we let them starve. Even when our labor has conquered scarcity, capitalism must manufacture it in order to justify its existence. I'll start with the back half first. Even when our labor has conquered scarcity, uh, your labor has not conquered scarcity. We don't have unlimited amounts of resources. Everything is scarce. So <clears throat> your labor has not conquered any scarcity. Even when it comes to food production, um, all the things that go into that machinery, pesticides, herbicides, things like that. I know some people don't like those. They're, they're pretty important if you want to have mass production of food. Okay. Uh, without them, we probably wouldn't be able to produce enough. <clears throat> The labor that goes into producing the seeds, labor that goes into harvesting the crops, all these different things that come together, the land that it takes to grow these, um, everything is scarce. We have not conquered scarcity. And that's why there must be a, an exchange, a trade for the food. In this case, we take money as a mode of exchange. That way we can get other things that we need. And that is a great signal to the market for what is important. It's also important to note that in America, no one starves to death through lack of food. People starve to death when they get illnesses that cause them to not eat and they can starve to death, but no one starves to death in America because they couldn't get access to food. That's not something that happens. Find me the article that showed that that ever happened. It, it's probably happened, you know, happened in the past. It doesn't happen now. They also say under capitalism, this is the beginning of it, food isn't produced to feed people. Under socialism, food isn't produced. The, the end, you don't need the rest of the meme after that. You just say under socialism, food isn't produced. <clears throat> sure, they tried to produce some food. This was all tried. It, it didn't work. Under socialism, people starve. Millions of people starve because they could not produce enough food. So acting like capitalism has somehow caused people to starve is ridiculous. This has been tried already. It didn't work in Russia, didn't work in China, because it turns out that people are naturally driven by their own personal gain. And capitalism is just another word for individuals freely trading with another, one another. It's natural human behavior that occurs. And even in these countries where they tried to do this, it didn't work. In Russia, people would lift up their plows so they can make it through the fields faster. Their job was to plow the field. They didn't care how much food was produced. They didn't get any personal gain out of the fields yielding great crops. They got some of the most fertile land in the entire world. They couldn't produce enough food to feed their people because they didn't have the profit-driven system. In China, 
we know what happened in China. What is it? What's the number? 60 million people dying under Mao. A lot of them murdered. A lot of them starved to death. What ended up changing things was a little province in China in the 80s, I believe, that decided to make a secret compact, this secret pact with one another that if they grew extra, they were going to be able to keep it for themselves. All of a sudden, they started growing more food. Well, those people weren't driven by trying to feed the entire world or trying to feed people that were starving. At the end of the day, even though they lived in that system, they were driven by their own human desires for their own personal gain. And it turns out that under capitalism, our biggest problem is people having too much food. Like I said, no one starves in America because they can't find access to food. We have too much food. We have an obesity problem. You look at other countries around the world and say people are starving over there. I would ask you what kind of governments they have. What kind of uh, contract systems do they have? Are contracts honored? Do they have a system of, of adjudication and disputes? Do they have personal property rights in those countries? Or does the government just run everything? I'd, I'd like the answer to that question. So that's number 10, anti-capitalism. A couple things that just don't make no sense. This last one, I loved it. I can't remember who submitted it. Probably one of the New Jersey people. Uh, that are in the group, but a uh, great submission from Forbes. Just uh, just out a couple days ago, New Jersey bag ban has been followed by uh, increased use of plastic. Pretty good stuff. Governor Phil Murphy of New Jersey and New Jersey state legislatures touted a new law banning plastic and paper shopping bags at stores when they enacted it in 2020. According to a new study, however, passage of New Jersey's anti-plastics law has been followed by a near tripling of plastic consumption at Garden State checkouts. So they tried to ban the plastic bags, and this has ended up near tripling plastic consumptions. Quote, Plastic bags are one of the most problematic forms of garbage, leading to millions of discarded bags that stream annually into our landfills, rivers, and oceans, Governor Phil Murphy said at the bag ban signing ceremony in November 2020. With today's historic bill signing, we are addressing the problem of plastic pollution head-on with solutions that will help mitigate climate change and strengthen our environment for future generations. Only problem is, government's not good at directing human behavior, and humans are going to behave in their own natural incentivized ways. Four years on, however, there's evidence that New Jersey's bag prohibition not only failed to curb plastic usage, it backfired. According to a new study released on January 9th, 53 million pounds worth of plastic shopping bags were used in New Jersey prior to implementation of the bag ban, a figure that has now risen to 151 million pounds since the prohibition was instituted. The study, which was commissioned by the American Recyclable Plastic Bag Alliance, found that the reusable bags New Jersey shoppers have been forced to use since the bag ban took effect are rarely reused, only two or three times on average, with many people in New Jersey now using reusable bags as single-use bags. The state's plastic and paper bag prohibition, though passed with best of intentions, may be doing more harm than good. I'm just reading the Forbes article because they say some good stuff in here. Reusable bags are manufactured with 15 to 20 times the amount of plastic used in the now prohibited single-use plastic bag. 15 to 20 times the amount of plastic than your normal plastic bag at the store. 
The reusable bags that New Jersey residents now pay for at checkout or when their groceries are delivered, according to researchers, need to be used anywhere from 11 to 59 times in order to have a net benefit for the environment. The study found most reusable bags are used an average of two to three times. As a result, overall plastic usage for bags in New Jersey has risen. You have to use these bags 11 to 59 times for them to have a net benefit. That's a wide range, by the way. 11 to 59 times for a net benefit. And they're only using those two to three times. A lot of people are just using them for single use. And you pay for the bags every time you go and get groceries. And so this is just equated to being an extra tax on people. Uh, the new, I know Costco, you're in here. Um, are you paying extra at grocery stores for, for bags? Like I wasn't even aware that there was a reusable bag ban that was happening there and that you had to pay for the bags. But it looks like this is just a new tax for people to pay. A New York Times article from 2022, three months after the bag, the bag ban took effect, foreshadowed the findings. The article reported on the mountain of bags of the reusable sort that were piling up in New Jersey homes and apartments. The Times reported how, for many people who rely on grocery delivery and curbside pickup services, their orders now come in heavy-duty reusable shopping bags, lots and lots of them week after week. Aside from failing to achieve its plastic mitigation objective, the study documents how New Jersey's plastic and paper bag ban created a new revenue stream for retailers, one funded by what is effectively a regressive tax on New Jersey households. In fact, the study found one retailer with 50 stores across New Jersey made an estimated $42 million off of reusable bag fees alone. The new source of revenue is nice for retailers, but it's coming from what is effectively a tax on New Jersey residents, disproportionately harming those who can least afford it. The study found retailers are charging consumers two to three hundred times the cost, two to three hundred percent, sorry, the cost of the reusable bags, which is how businesses are profiting off the plastic and paper bag prohibition. Why would you charge two to three hundred percent? Because you're forced to use it because there's a reusable bag ban. So you're going to charge whatever you can get away with. That's what happens when the government forces people to do things pretty easy. Uh, the uh, retailer cost analysis found that New Jersey retailers are collecting an estimated 200 to 800,000 annually from each location from the bag fees. In fact, the report estimates that reusable bag fees now comprise 1 to 2% of total revenue for New Jersey retailers. So just imagine that. The government tries to do a thing and it's going to help the environment, of course, with the best of intentions. And so they ban single-use bags. And it turns out that the market had already had it just about right. People want single-use bags. You don't want to have to remember to keep your bags in the car. You unload your groceries. You got to put your bags somewhere and then remember to get them. You come home from work and like, oh, crap, I forgot my bags at home. I guess I'm just going to have to buy some more bags. And that's what ends up happening. So the market had already figured this out. Because if people wanted multi-use bags, then people would be paying for the multi-use bags. Many stores have these multi-use bags that you can pay and bring back with you. And if you want to do that, then you'll do that. If not, you'll pay a convenience fee, which is essentially what this is, to just keep reusing these, what are supposed to be multi-use plastic bags that have 15 to 20 times the amount of plastic in them than the single use does. And you still use them probably one time. The average is two or three. It's... Uh, uh, Costco said they're 30 cent bags that they charge $2. Lord, 
That is ridiculous. So once again, a nice little hidden tax from the government. Uh, people be saving money if you just went back to the regular bags. And actually, you'd be saving the environment if you just went back to single-use plastic bags. All right, let's get some votes in. Um, let me get back to the list here right quick. We've got number one, Beto, Texas, immigration. Number two, Kamala, projection. Number three, DeSantis quotes Budweiser. Number four, Barbie Smouye. Number five, Josh Hawley and Big Tech. Number six, intimidation threatens democracy. Number seven, NYC is named the best city in the world. Number eight, Biden's internet. Number nine, Uvalde equals ban assault rifles. Number 10, those two anti-capitalism posts. And number 11, New Jersey's plastic bag ban to save the environment. And by the way, while people are getting their votes in, you might think that we don't care about the environment over here on Good Morning Liberty or in the Fed Haters Club. I happen to care about, I think everyone would naturally care about the environment. It just matters what the trade-off is for you. You care about it like you don't want it to just be trash and plastic and disgusting air and acid rain coming down and all that stuff. Like you care about it, but it, it depends on what the trade-off is for you. And if it's paying a couple bucks per bag at the grocery store versus having to remember to put your bags back in your car and take them in with you and all that, you'll pay the fee for it, even if you do care about the environment, because everything is about trade-offs. And by the way, when it comes to saving the environment, like what New Jersey was just trying to do, which in turn, they created three times as much plastic waste as what they had before, while also taxing their citizens to save the environment, that's what a lot of the other environmental regulations are going to do as well. This is not a one-off thing. People think that when the government decides they're going to save the environment and protect the environment, that they're going to enact this regulation and pass this law. And what's going to happen is the environment's going to get saved. And even if we have to pay a little bit of extra money, okay, whatever, at least the environment gets saved. This is a really good example of what actually happens. People end up paying a bunch of money and they end up doing three times as much damage from this one single thing as what they were doing before. In this case, they could actually save the environment by going back to what they used to have before they were trying to save the environment. All right, let's see what the uh, dumb bleeps are looking like right now in the dumb bleep of the week voting channel. Everyone go in and get those votes in. Make sure you go to goodmorningliberty.us. You can find everything on that, on that site right there. Uh, you go to YouTube and watch this video if you want to see my pretty face and see all the stuff that we've been talking about in this nice little presentation that we do for every episode. And there's always something to look at uh, while, we're, while we're talking. So you can go to YouTube and do that. You can go to joingmail.com if you want to be involved in the voting process. I'm sorry it's just me today. Charlie will be back next week. And so that'll be better when this is going back to two of us. But go to joingmail.com. So you can hang out with us in the Fed Haters Club and get your votes in every Friday for Dumb Bleep of the Week. And you can go to GodHatesFeds.com if you want to get your very own God Hates Feds t-shirt or if you want to get one of the other fine t-shirts that are available on that site. It looks like it's going to be excluding the fact that most people are voting for Charlie to be Dumb Bleep of the Week. It's going to be New Jersey's plastic bag ban. So good job, everyone. Good vote. That's the one that I wanted to win. That was pretty dumb. Um... I think I told you to do everything. Leave a rating and review. It's super important. Uh, find us on 
your social media platform that you use and then like or share the things that we post if you think that they're good. Those things are very important too. It's all about feeding the algorithms, you know, and letting them know uh, that this is what people want to see. So ratings and reviews, things like that, uh, retweets and shares and, and likes on posts, all very important things. So if you do every single one of those things, and I mean every single Galdurm one of them, Charlie and I will both see you next week. Everyone have a great weekend. Until then, have a good day and a good morning. Liberty. <laughs>